welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast, where we show you that women are capable of absolutely incredible things with the right tools, strategies, and mindset in place. I'm your host, Victoria Smith, and today on the podcast, we are joined by Katrina High. Now, Katrina, I first discovered her, as with many of our guests, on social media, on Instagram. And I think I honestly found her because I was looking up recipes when I was uh, trying to, you know, do some AIP, like gluten-free, dairy-free, all of that to test for some uh, gluten issues I was having. And Katrina is a great blogger on all things AIP and (laughs) makes food delicious when it doesn't always have the delicious things like gluten and cheese. Anyways, complete tangent. What I love about Katrina is she shares her journey with endometriosis, with infertility, very openly on social media. She breaks down uh, the challenges that she has faced with chronic pain, chronic stress, and fatigue that's gone along with it, how she balances that with, quite frankly, a major job and parenting, right? Like, it's no joke when you when you throw a wrench into sort of your average day as a working parent, but to throw in a major health issue and to manage it with the grace that she has, it was just a, a great opportunity to talk to her about that. So we talk in depth about endometriosis, which I think more women go through than we realize. And so you might listen to this episode and think, hmm, maybe there's a little bit more to what's going on in my life and maybe I should get checked out. I would definitely encourage you to follow up on the resources that Katrina has recommended. We talk about her journey with infertility. We also have a discussion on the the factors that helped her reduce her stress when she was going through these really difficult times in her life. We talk about spoon theory and so much more. It's absolutely a phenomenal interview and I didn't want to stop talking to Katrina. She's such an interesting human being and I know that if you reach out to her on social media, if you are feeling any of these challenges, whether with chronic pain or endometriosis or infertility, I know that she will get back to you in such a kind and compassionate way. So just, uh, just putting that out there. Now, the Girl Tries Life podcast is a proud member of the Alberta of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This particular episode is brought to you by Inventures, which is a chance to connect with the best and the brightest in global innovation. So you can join 4,000 plus creative and curious minds on the frontier of innovation. There's going to be more than 250 speakers on six program tracks, and that includes everything from innovation of work to the future of AI, healthier living, broader thinking. Inventures is all about connecting entrepreneurs and startups with venture capitalists, angel investors, service providers, and thought leaders. The conference also includes an education tracks for students. So Alberta is making all of this possible in Calgary from June 3rd to June 5th. Tickets are only $399 if you buy before April. And if you're a student, you actually get an early bird ticket right now for just $99. So you can get your tickets today at inventurescanada.com. So that's I-N-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S, inventurescanada.com. So if you're someone who in our economy is looking to transition from one industry to another into different employment, different career opportunities, I just want to play this next little ad from NorQuest Career Moves. Your next career move is right around the corner and NorQuest College is here to help. 
our new Career Moves Professional Development Program will help you transition to new job opportunities. Funded by the Future Skills Center, we will provide one-on-one -on -one coaching, self-assessments, skill development and training, and up to $2,000 in available tuition credit. Our focus is your success. Make your next move. Apply today at norquest.ca slash career moves. Okay, so without further ado, let's head into the interview with Katrina. Thank you, Katrina, for joining me on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you. Thanks for having me so I can have a safe space to tell my story. I'm really pumped about this because I, I truly, I feel like I've said this to a few podcast guests. I, I know I found you on Instagram. I don't know how I found you on Instagram, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> and what like the, I, I don't know if it was I first started following you for some of the recipes or things like that but I was truly struck by you sharing your health journey your struggles with endometriosis infertility and I, I think I still assume that I know roughly what endometriosis is but I almost think I really don't so for anyone who's listening can you give us a rundown of like what that actually is so it's actually a tissue that's similar to your endometrial lining. It's not the same. So, so it's similar to the lining in your uterus and it actually grows in your pelvic cavity. So um, it's different for a lot of people. For me personally, it was growing along the entire back of my pelvis. It had wrapped around my ovaries. One of them was actually adhered to the side of my pelvic cavity. It was all over my uterus. A lot of women will actually find it on their organs so they'll have to have you know an appendix out um, sometimes they have to have parts of their colon out it's very serious so it's not just painful periods um, yeah. it does cause those but actually not in all women that have it so when did you discover you had this like what were your symptoms so I had horrible periods that lasted a long time I wasn't able to leave the house uh, the first couple days um, I had excruciating pelvic pain pretty much throughout the entire month, um, specifically on my right side, which is interesting when they found that my ovary was attached to the side of my pelvic cavity. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I had infertility um, that was unexplained. A lot of the other things that were interesting that I had no idea could be a part of this until I did research was I had a lot of sciatic pain. So a lot of times I was unable to walk or weight bear on my right leg. Um, I had a lot of GI issues. And then I had to pee all the time. Like my body felt like it had to pee, even though I didn't have to. And I find now that that was because I had endometriosis on the outside of my bladder. So right. um, there's a I, those were some of the things that made me feel like I was crazy. I didn't even know what doctor to go to. And I remember thinking there's something wrong in my body. I don't know what it is, but I can tell something's wrong. So I went to the OB, I had them do an ultrasound and everything came back normal. And it's actually really funny when I started going to the specialist, he asked me to go get all the paperwork from my previous doctors and um, different testing I had done. And the note on that specific ultrasound had a little star and it just said stress. Um, and so that was a trigger for me that I needed to kind of get on board of educating people on endometriosis because I myself didn't really know what it was until I just started Googling my symptoms, um, what treatment looks like. There's a lot of misconceptions out there in terms of, you know, just get on birth control and it's fine. Well, 
for some people it is, but all it's really doing is masking symptoms. You know, at the end of the day, you have all this stuff inside your, your body that needs to come out. So it was great for me to be able to educate myself on um, best practices. I'm so grateful to social media for that and the internet. Um, it's been huge for me in my um, treatment plan, and um, which is why I'm feeling great today. You know, I was able to find an excision specialist in our state and go there. And sorry, how old were you when you realized you had this? Okay, so this is crazy. I diagnosed myself basically last February. So I went to my annual with my basic OB, who I love. She's amazing. Um, She delivered my daughter, did a beautiful job. But I don't think there was a true understanding of endometriosis and what treatment looks like. So she put me on birth control. I spiraled. I felt horrible. I was getting joint pain. And so that's when I got on social media and really started doing research and um, found these amazing communities that kind of made me realize that this is not the right kind of treatment plan for me and I need to go find an excision specialist. So that was in July of last year. And then I had my surgery in December. Um, The crazy thing is looking at all of my history, I actually have had this since high school. So it's been 20 years. And they never like in all your pregnancy, nothing. No. And that was, yeah, that was actually part of why I waited long to push for answers because I thought to myself I had a c-section they'll see it right they would have seen it um I went to one of the top fertility clinics in the country you know people fly there for them um they didn't find it but now that I'm more educated on endometriosis it doesn't show up in scans it doesn't show up in lab work the only way to tell if you have it is through a laparoscopic surgery so they have to go in and actually look for it and even then, you have to make sure you're with a specialist because yeah. there's all different kinds of colors. I actually had some clear endometriosis that they found. So if I hadn't gone to a specialist that knew what they were looking for, um, that would have been left behind. That is absolutely nuts. And so talk us Isn't through it? like what uh, – we're going to get to the surgery. <laughs> but like I remember yeah. seeing pictures of you on Instagram. Like it, tell us how this changed your life, like your day-to-day life because you were eating differently. You were in chronic pain. Like what – What did Katrina's life look like? That was crazy. So I went from going to the gym like five days a week, pushing myself to the limit. I was like chipper chatty, you know, making jokes all the time. And then it was just like, I got hit by a truck. You know, I couldn't use my mouth at work. My brain fog, which I always thought prior to actually getting it myself was a complete joke. Totally thought it was mom brain. But I remember thinking beginning last year, like, do I have brain tumor like I am not able to finish sentences you know and it was impacting my work so much you know I have my director for multi-million dollar company it's important for me to be able to be eloquent and have calls with the CEO and look like I know what I'm doing you know and I was unable to do that it was getting really embarrassing so I found that I was getting more quiet in meetings things like that then you know my body just started fighting me you know I think every single piece of it was inflamed just telling me like I need you to listen to me there is something wrong so um I was unable to go to the gym I just kept scaling back scaling back scaling back and I remember this time I went to a prenatal yoga class which was basically easy stretching and I couldn't last longer than five minutes you know so it's crazy to think that six months prior I'd been doing headstands 
Yeah. You know, and things like that. And it took me three days to recover from that 10 minutes. I was on opiates for my pain. I had certain days that I wasn't able, I was literally crawling up the stairs to be able to go to bed. Um, and I was totally devastated because what my life had always been and what I had taken great pride in um, was all gone. So it was like, first of all, I feel like I'm insane. I don't know how to explain to people what's going on with me because I myself didn't really fully understand. Even once I got my diagnosis, it's like, how do I talk to people at work? Because I didn't even really, I just knew something was going on, but I hadn't even officially been diagnosed since I hadn't had my surgery yet. That diagnosis, fibromyalgia, I just kept fighting, fighting with the rheumatologist. Started on autoimmune protocol for um, helping with inflammation. That was nuts because I love food. I love cooking. I blog recipes. My husband's a brewer. I love cooking beer, gluten-filled beer. Um, I love cheese. And I had to remove all grains, all seeds, all nightshades, all dairy, um, all gluten. And I remember when I first started, I looked around the kitchen and the only thing that I could have for breakfast that was compliant was a little tangerine from the cuties bag that yeah. I get my daughter. And so I really had to shift everything. And instead of allowing for that to totally defeat me, I was like, I'm going to learn how to make tortillas out of root flour yeah. and I'm going to make tomato sauce out of beets. Yeah. Um, and so I really kind of harnessed that energy and um, shifted my blog into kind of AIP recipes and just playing in the kitchen. It was really important for me to meal prep. I couldn't have any processed food. So I really had to kind of shift everything, which was hard since I had no energy and it hurt to chop things. Yeah. So just trying to kind of figure out how my husband could help in the kitchen and, and stuff like that. But yeah. it's really changed our life our family life, um, honestly, with how we eat and things like that. So from an educational standpoint, it was great, even though I'm not having to have that many items out of my diet anymore. Thank goodness. I have to say like the AIP diet seems I've had to do it for a very short period of time and I absolutely despised life, but your, I wish I had your recipes at the time because your stories, I was like, those actually look good. That actually looks appealing and appetizing and like, like I would enjoy it. Well, it was funny because I was thinking like when I went and looked at um, recipes online, I was thinking, oh my gosh, these had to have been created for people that are like 75. Bland, no taste buds. Terrible. I remember the first thing I made was this Alfredo sauce out of cauliflower and it was awful. And I like, I've just got to try to figure something else out. So I'm glad it all worked. I ate a lot of tacos. Yeah. The inflammation (laughs) looked crazy though, because you would share pictures of like having, was was it just like one meal that wasn't AIP or whatever and the change that it would create in your stomach or? Yeah, that actually, it was insane. So I would like wake up some mornings and my stomach, my skin would be stretching. It was like I went from not pregnant to six months pregnant overnight, and it was so painful. Um, so it was trying to find things that didn't trigger that. Um, it's called endo belly. I'm yeah. learning now. And, um, you know, luckily for me, for a while, food controlled it for the most part. But, you know, I was afraid to be able to go do stuff. I was having to carry all this weird digestive hippie stuff in my bag that help sometimes um but towards the end there food wasn't even helping i 
remember at Thanksgiving, I made myself all AIP compliant stuff and ended up puking anytime I ate. And that was like before my surgery. And it was just so frustrating. I felt like I couldn't leave the house. You know, we we're supposed to go cut the Christmas tree down. Yeah. Everyone was waiting for me. It was so embarrassing. Um, but, you know, it's just what it was. Yeah. And it was hard. I am such a control freak. And it's one of the good things that is in my personality, right? Where I'm always trying to find, I guess I, it's best to say I'm very solution driven. Yeah. Um, and I felt very depressed once I didn't know where to, to find go. any more solutions at that point. Yeah. yeah. So and angry. Yeah, for sure. Well, can, and there's got to be this feeling of like, why me? Like I'm doing everything right. I'm trying everything. Like, why is this happening? Right. It totally. And you know, with my history, you know, a couple of years of going through infertility my dad dying. I mean, gosh, last year, right before Thanksgiving, our dog died yeah. in my arms out of nowhere at my office. It was just like, life was just dumping on me. Yeah. And I kept thinking, you know, it's only natural to think, what have I done to deserve this? Yeah. You know, I feel like I'm trying to take everything in stride. I'm trying to do the best I can, but I can't picture living my life like this yeah. forever. And I knew that was a possibility and it was terrifying to me. Yeah. And and that was really what caused me to break down. It's like I could have these short-term solutions, but if this is what my life looks like forever, what do I do with that? Yeah. Can I keep working? How do I parent? How do I have a relationship with my spouse? Yeah. Um, you know, and that was difficult for me to think about and just would get really emotional sometimes. So I want to talk quick about the surgery and then we'll sort of go back to how you handled it. So you had the surgery in December, you said? Yeah. So mm -hmm. what, what was involved in that surgery? What did they remove? What did? Yeah. So, um, it was crazy. I had to trust my doctor completely since they had no idea what they were going to find in there. And so, um, in my pre-op, he was like, you know, if we find this, is it okay to take this? So if we find this, is it okay to take this? And it was scary to me to think that I was just going to go under and not know what I would be waking up to. Yeah. Um, so they put me under, they had to take my uterus. I also have adenomyosis and it's very interesting. I just got my pathology report back and I was digging through everything and the wall of my uterus uh, the myometrium was over an inch thick in some areas and it's supposed to be less than five millimeters. So I was walking around wow. with that. Um, no wonder you were in pain. Like it's yeah. Ugh. Right. I mean, it's unbelievable. And so um, the other thing with adenomyosis is it's not endometriosis, but it's similar. So the lining yeah. would shed. I had all this lining built into the muscle that would rip out once a month and and it was excruciating. I also had a two-inch tumor in my uterus that was pushing through the uterine wall. Um, and then all the endometriosis was just stringing behind my uterus, connecting both sides of my pelvis, completely wrapping um, both of my ovaries. I had cysts all over my tubes and my ovaries that had been bursting. That was, um, I realized, what put me in the ER that one time for pain meds. Yeah, and it was crazy to think, like, all of that tissue within my pelvic cavity that would shed once a month and break down. And basically I would bleed internally. Yeah. So when I thought I was being weak, yeah. sitting at work, being in pain, wow, what a badass was I, yeah. right? You know? 
I was thinking um, this morning on the ride into work, I had this photo shoot last October. Um, and they're really kind of intense. I'm on my feet all the time, having to run back and forth yeah. and grab stuff. And uh, I was on my period. And I remember being totally afraid because there was hardly any bathrooms. And I did okay. And on my drive home, I was literally contracting. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to have to pull over and have someone come get me. I was an hour away from the house. And this is actually the first time I shared that, you know, that was such a common thing. I just would always push through, but I never knew when it was going to hit. And that was so frustrating. It's amazing to think back and realize how much pain I kind of dealt with while maintaining a, a life you know, and a job and a family. So, yeah, so I'm dealing with no ovaries. They took my ovaries out. They took my uterus out. They took all of that endometriosis out. Um, they took my cervix out. Yeah. So um, I, I now understand why you had that pinata because that thing was a jerk to you. <laughs> like, right? Well, and I had no idea. It's like yeah. crazy. because There's some women that go in for the surgery and they're like, everything looks great. You know, and so yeah. I had this fear that, I was going to undergo this massive surgery and they wouldn't find it. Nothing would change. And I would have to go through that whole recovery process. Plus I'd have to deal with, um, you know, hormone replacement therapy. That's something I'm working on dealing with, you know, I'm 36 yeah. dealing with some hot flashes. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. You know, not quite sure what else to expect, but luckily I have a um, good doctor that's helping with that. But you know, yeah. at the end of the day, my husband's like, it is 15 degrees outside. Why is the ceiling fan on? And I'm like, I'm having a hot flash, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but that's definitely something that I'm willing to put up with, with how much better I feel in every other aspect. It was insane. Yeah. I woke up in the hospital and they told me, oh, that was way more than we expected. We're going to have to keep you overnight just for pain management. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, it's immediate there's this bowling ball I've had in my pelvis since I can remember and it's gone. Like I felt better than I knew was possible. And that was the moment where I realized like for 20 years I have been dealing with some sort of uncomfortableness at least, um, you know, and it just becomes part of your life. And it's, it's things like that where you don't realize, Oh my gosh, I need to advocate for myself, you know, because it's just part of who you are. And, you know, maybe like for me, I did go to the doctor about my periods and my cramps in high school. And they told me just like sometimes that's what girls deal with. And my mom was like, that's how I was. And it's hilarious because going through what I have now, my mom goes, oh, my gosh, there's no question in my mind I have endometriosis. There's no question. And it's actually probably very likely she does because it is something that gets passed down. Yeah, that is absolutely nuts. And I... I, I'm always conscious of this, and we don't. You don't have to answer this question if you don't want to. But with, because um, I live in Canada, so guests who are American, like, what is that experience like financially? Okay, so it's horrible. You know, we pay. I pay about eight hundred dollars a month for just basic insurance for myself and my daughter, and. I ended up having to have an MRI for uh, when I went to the rheumatologist, they were checking me for a couple other autoimmune diseases. So they had, I had an MRI. I just got a bill for $900. Um, But the best one is I just got a bill on Saturday about my 
insurance, not wanting to cover any of my surgery. So now, even though I'm dealing with all of this, I mean, it's tens of thousands of dollars, right? Because that's just how we do it here. And obviously, knock on wood, that's not what's going to happen. But I'm going to have to put a lot of effort now into fighting my case. Yeah. I don't understand why you wouldn't have been able to live a life, right? Yeah. No, I mean, there were so many times I was thinking to myself, I might need to go on short term disability or just disability in general. You know, there's so many women that are dealing with it that cannot work. Um, Luckily for me, my boss was great. He doesn't fully really know all the details. That was another thing that was really hard for me. Like, how much do I share? I felt so passionate. Like, I need to tell him I have endometriosis. But I can't be like, you know, oh, I'm having periods where I'm like having clots the size of, you know, a, a biscuit could <laughs> come out. Like, you know, it's awful. I, you know, I'm on, I was on, um, on, uh, anti, you know, I was on like clotting medication that mm-hmm. they give that just like a bleeding disorder. And that was just like my normal. But that was really hard for me to kind of try to explain what was going on and what I needed without sharing all the details um, and I think that's part of why I feel so passionate about telling my story because I want people to understand what it is it because at the end of the day I was like he probably thinks I am staying home from work because I have bad cramps yeah. and that's not who I am you know yeah. that's embarrassing to me I'm a strong woman I put up with a lot of stuff yeah um, and it was really interesting to me that um, when I was in my recovery at the hospital the nurse came in and said, you know, what's your pain like? And I said, um, probably at an eight. And she goes, since you have endometriosis, it's probably actually a 12 because you ladies blow my mind at <laughs> yeah. what your tolerance is. And it was just like the best feeling ever. I felt so validated, Yeah, you know, because people are like, oh, get it together. You're being so dramatic, you know, and even myself, I, I, I hate to say it, but that's kind of how I felt earlier in life, you know, like. Yeah. Seriously, staying home from work because you're on your period, you know, you know, a little more than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's for so much that goes on inside your body, right? Like mental health issues, anything. If you can't see it, it's very hard for people to understand and give that compassion, right? It's like the whole concept of an invisible illness. And I remember getting like slightly excited when I got my fibromyalgia diagnosis, which is totally sad. And I was thinking, maybe I'll need a cane. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> You know, like I will get the attention that this deserves, like, and the understanding, I guess, is probably a better way to put it. Like, this is why Katrina needs to sit down all the time. This is why, you know, she is pale and needing to just leave and go home and get in bed, you know. Yeah. Um, Invisible illnesses are hard, and it sucks because it's like they're so emotional, too. And that's how I felt when I was going through all my infertility stuff. Like, I had to keep it all bottled inside me and I didn't feel like it was something I could share that I was going through and um, that's why it's so important for me to talk about it to the point where it probably annoys some people on my Instagram (laughs) it's all good so tell me about while you were going through it like that's chronic pain chronic stress like you're saying you're managing an important job a major illness a young child which you know they push they push (laughs) And like, yeah. how did you and manage that stress? She's like, you know, I am going to lay, I remember we were at um, the grocery store 
and she laid down and started kicking and screaming and it was mortifying because I couldn't pick her up like I physically couldn't and I didn't know what to do because I was by myself and it was just everyone's looking at me like get it together and I wanted to be like do you have any idea what I'm dealing with right now so I have a whole new respect for um you know the whole idea of you don't know what battles other people are fighting. Um, And it's also not something that they have to share. Um, You know, I share my story. I'm very vocal, but that's because that's a choice I made. They don't, you know, it's not something that they have to do. So you just need to respect and appreciate other people. Um, In terms of managing stress, it was really hard for me. You know, I loved yoga. I loved working out, uh, wasn't able to do that. And that made me super depressed. And um, one of the other things that was really interesting is anytime I would feel stress, it would actually trigger pain. So endometriosis, I would get a flare by getting stressed. So I knew I had to find something to kind of help with that. Um, Not only long-term, but when I, you know, my daughter was acting up, like, what can I do? So as a parent, I would just have to give myself grace and walk away even if we were going to be late you know as a working mom that was super hard I yeah. was 45 minutes late to work pretty much every day but my team knew you know like Katrina's yeah. dealing with stuff and need to be respectful of that um from a long-term standpoint it was really important for me to um write I started writing again it's huge for me blogging about my experiences um so cathartic getting in the kitchen, being able to come up with new recipes. I love hanging out in there. It's kind of my safe space. I just turn some music on and just do my thing. And the other thing was to just kind of like make sure I'm living in the moment, right? So finding something wherever I am and focusing on that, like what brings me joy? Like here I'm sitting in my office, right? Let me look around. Oh my gosh, you know, that pillow on the chair over there I got at this cool antique store and it was such a great find like so shifting my focus to something that brought me joy and honestly I love that that's something I had to work on for myself even though I'm getting back to the gym and back to yoga now it's been kind of layered on and it's made me have such a more elevated life really because I'm able to look around and I'm like wow how did I not notice that before this is something I drive by every day on the way to work or you know just taking a moment to spend time with my child and you know that was another thing like I couldn't run around with her and I remember we were raking leaves and we were gonna all jump in them and I couldn't do it and I had to sit on the side and I was feeling so bad for myself and I just thought to myself you know we're going to go inside, we'll lay on the ground and we'll color together. You know, there's ways that we can make memories together that doesn't involve me being super active, um, you know, and I had to be open with her about how I was feeling. You know, mommy doesn't feel good today. I need you to be gentle, you know, and she's four, but she gets it. And so she was almost as excited as I was when my surgery got scheduled because she kept telling me, you know, mommy, you're going to feel so much better. I'm so excited we're going to be able to do this together. We're going to be able to, you know, run around. I can't wait to ski with you, you know, things like that. And so while it did put a little pressure on me because I wasn't sure if it was going to work, it was nice to know that she kind of understood that things needed to be a little different. Yeah. That's great. Talk to me about spoon theory. You're a big proponent of spoon theory. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I overdo it nonstop. It's who I am as a person. Um, I kind of wish I'd known about spoon theory before I had a chronic illness, honestly. 
And the concept is you have so many spoons a day, right? So let's say you have 10 spoons and getting up in the morning and getting dressed takes two spoons. You know, driving to work takes one. Your work day takes five. So managing your time and your responsibilities and what you are going to do within that day and not overextending. Yeah. So you know what? You can even plan to overextend, which is nice. So you can take two spoons from tomorrow, but you have to rec- recognize that you are going to have a low day and you have to give yourself grace the next day. And so it was nice for me to kind of put it into that thinking um, instead of just doing everything all the time. You know, I was raised in a family that you don't sit around. It's bad. My mom, she is always on the go. And so I was kind of raised that, you know, sitting idly and watching a show or reading a book or sleeping in, they're no-nos. And so I really had to kind of shift my perspective. And Spoon Theory was awesome for that because I'm like, I'm out of spoons. I'm going to go sit down. Sorry. Or, my gosh, this was unintended. It took more spoons than I had planned for today. So now I'm just not going to go to the gym or, you know, whatever. Um, so I can just make sure I am not overextending myself and wearing my body out. Um, that's so important, especially when you're dealing with chronic fatigue, because I just, I remember for months I would get home from work and all I wanted to do, I was literally counting the minutes until I could go to bed and a horrible way to live. You know, I wanted to be able to spend time with my family and, you know, be myself. I, I had read a bunch about it and I really resonate with spoon theory. I know it's, there's a, I've also read there's a little bit of backlash online from people of like, it doesn't make sense for or like only wanting to use it for individuals with chronic pain and chronic stress. And I, I've seen backlash for sort of average people using it or whatnot. But I, to me, it makes a lot of sense, a lot of sense, especially for like moms, working moms, busy moms, like there is so much going on and maybe it's not from a pain level, but you literally only have so much time and energy. Well, and I think as work, I'm sure you agree with me as working moms, we're told we need to be the best mom possible, the best employee possible, the best spouse possible. We need to be super involved in our community. Um, You know, we need to be doing all kinds of these Pinterest worthy things. (laughs) And it's crazy. There's so much pressure. It's unnecessary. And honestly, it's impossible. All we feel like we're doing is failing ourselves. And so, we have to step back. And I think that's part of the, you know, the whole idea of finding joy in the moment too, you know, right? Like I'm not going to spend four hours, you know, uh, making some sort of weird like zoo extravaganza for my daughter when she's going to get just as much joy out of like a dance party with some glow sticks I got on clearance in the kitchen while I'm cooking dinner. You know, I do have glow sticks in the kitchen. We've got a glow stick section and it's awesome. <laughs> and some of it's like trial and error, right? Like my son just had his right. fourth birthday party. He wanted a pirate theme. And I like doing some of the crafty things. And I like, I was so excited. I made these little pirate ships that they could race in. Took for cool. freaking ever. But I enjoyed right. the process. But then like, I swear to God, they used them for less than 60 seconds. And I was like, right. lesson learned. I will not be doing right. that next time. Right. <laughs> like, totally. Or like, what are you going to give yourself permission yeah. To either not do things or maybe spend a little extra money. Like, yeah. I don't know why I went so long without having a cleaning person. Yeah. It has changed our lives. And then getting groceries delivered, you know, little things like that, that I can't, I need to 
allow myself to say, hey, Katrina, it's okay. You can't do it all. That's not a bad thing. You're already doing so much more than what, you know, your body was ever intended to do, right? Yeah. This isn't like how we were created to, to yeah. live our lives. So taking a step back and recognizing what's really important. Yeah. I just want to take a brief pause from the interview that you're listening to to let you know about a new program that we have coming out called Stressless Mindfulness and Meditation for the Everyday. So if you've ever wanted to try meditation but felt like it was a little intimidating, well, this course is for you. We break down how to meditate, the benefits that it can give you, bust myths, and we help you build a lasting practice. In this program, I'm joined by Morgan Craig Broadwith of Live It Active for an introduction to mindfulness and meditation. With years of practice in mindfulness-based stress reduction, combined with her background in exercise physiology and psychology, Morgan leads us through the basics of mindfulness and meditation for everyday individuals. Now, she is not your meditation goddess. She is a real-life mom of two with a serious career. And you know what helps her keep performing at her peak, both at home and at work? It's meditation and mindfulness. So Morgan breaks it down in the course over six weeks so that you can build that meditation muscle. You'll see the benefits of calming your hamster wheel mind, and you will create some more space in your life. This is really powerful stuff. You've got access to it for a lifetime. You've got meditations to go home with. It is jam-packed with value. And I know that if you do the work, you're going to end this program with more clarity, with more mental space, feeling calmer and happier. So it's completely self-led. You've got access to it for a lifetime and it is only $69. So you can find that by going to stresslessladies.podia.com. So podia is P-O-D-I-A, stresslessladies.podia.com. That lists all the courses that we provide here at Stressless Ladies, including stressless mindfulness and meditation for the everyday. So back to the interview. So speaking of uh, some of the things that are really important, your daughter being one of them, talk us through, I mean, you've obviously, when you talk about endometriosis, you realize you've had this for quite some time and it right. sort of contributed to your unexplained infertility. Talk yes. me through what that discovery and journey was like. It was unbelievable to me when I finally figured it out. I remember thinking that I would feel so excited to finally have an answer. Um, as a woman, I just kind of, I'm, I felt slightly broken and I'm so data driven as a person. It was really difficult for me to not know why, even after my daughter was born when, you know, the why didn't really matter. Um, I just wanted to know, uh, it had really consumed our lives. I, truly feel like that couple years it basically was like I was removed from life 110% of my focus was just trying to become a mom and then keep my relationship with my husband you know a relationship because um, I was only focused on that and um, it was really difficult for me to maintain relationships during that time especially when people didn't fully understand how dedicated and like all-consuming it was to me it's something I wanted ever since I could remember, you know, I was that kid that played babies all the time and had these dreams of, you know, having three kids and da 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 da. And um, even having a hint of that potentially not being part of my future, I didn't, I didn't even know how it would function with that. Yeah. Um, 
So I remember after talking to my OB in February, I went and sat in my car and all of a sudden just broke down, like totally sobbing because of relief and because of sadness and also because of anger. I was so frustrated that it was me doing research online that actually brought the answers yeah. <laughs> after all of the uh, faith I had kind of put in the medical community. And that's kind of something I'm still working on, especially with endometriosis. Like, you know, I have to remind myself that doctors are not gods. They don't know everything. And we have this kind of idea, you know, you've got your one doctor, they tell you this one thing and that's kind of the whole truth, right? And um, it's not always the case. You can have an awesome doctor and they don't necessarily know everything. And I think one of the scariest things is they don't always know that they don't know everything. And I think that's kind of where I ended up. Like I felt guilty kind of pushing for my answers and I'm so glad I have them now, obviously. Um, But I can imagine that people that don't have uh, a personality that's as aggressive as mine, not getting those answers because they just kind of take it as truth and are told that, you know, a lot of women with endometriosis actually are told that, you know, there's nothing wrong with them and they need to go to a psychiatrist. I mean, it's unbelievable. Some of the things I see in my support groups um, about, they just tell, you know, fell on your head. There's nothing, there's literally nothing wrong with you. So next step is to go see a psychiatrist and then, you know, they'll go to a specialist to find out they have, you know, stage four endometriosis. So it's so important for us, especially as women to push for answers and to rely on our intuition. It is there for a reason. Um, Don't allow for anyone to tell you that it's wrong. I am terrified at the thought of what my life could look like now or in 10 years if I hadn't pushed. Um, So while it was emotional, um, I am realizing now that my daughter's even more of a miracle than I uh, originally thought, you know, looking at what my uterus looks like, I don't know how I managed to carry her. She's the only embryo we had. So it was very stressful during that time. You know, I went through Basically, what I'm finding now is that I looked great on paper. Labs were awesome. That's why they didn't know what was wrong with me. We'd make the embryos. I'd get a ton of eggs. We'd make the embryos. And then we'd send them off for genetic testing. And they'd all come back with a genetic issue on the maternal side. And they didn't know why. They just, you know, that was it. And so I did probably, I think if I added up, probably retrieved 40 eggs. You know, one embryo that came back okay and it was so stressful that two week wait after they implanted her um any honestly through my entire pregnancy I was just waiting for something terrible to happen because every call I got was always negative and I remember I kept a pair of sunglasses in my cubicle for um being able to leave office crying during that time period because it just was always bad news so she's just a blessing and a half um and that's also why I was so frustrated this past year when I couldn't do stuff with her it's like I worked so hard for her she's the only child I'm going to be able to have um every first I have with her is also my last I feel a lot of pressure because of that um to savor every moment and 
I was like, I'm missing an entire year of her life. So that's why I kind of had to, you know, think about different ways for us to create special memories. I'm super excited that I'm feeling better. We're going to be going to Disney World in May. You know, I'm finally going to be able to make up for those lost times we had last year. But yeah, it's been quite the last five years, really. Five years ago, my dad passed away and then my infertility journey started and then the endometriosis journey. So I'm hoping it's smooth sailing from here. I really don't know what else would happen, but (laughs) you never know with life. Does it feel a little bit like, and I get that there's the, obviously there's the excitement of everything's coming to a close. Is there, I know a lot of people who have gone through really various things back to back and there's a little bit of like the PTSD kind of along with it. Do you feel like that? Yeah, absolutely. Like I actually was thinking about it this morning. I still have a lot of anxiety just driving. I keep worrying that I'm going to get in a car accident, things like that. I'm afraid for loss also, like, um, you know, after my dad passed away and then the potential loss of having a family, you know, if someone gets sick or if I don't hear back from my husband when I text him right away, I think some horrible happens. You know, I really had to work on that and just like to picture someone dead in the ditch somewhere. So I definitely, definitely deal with that. Um, It's hard for me to sleep still sometimes because my mind just constantly goes, you know, I worry that my house is going to burn down. I left my curling iron on. Like I definitely have those moments and I've just had to kind of learn to not allow them that power. Yeah. Um, but they're, I think, always going to be there because you always have that, you know, you're born with that sense of safety where bad things only happen to other people, right? Yeah. Or when a bad thing happens to you, it is for a reason. And that's kind of how I live until my dad passed away. Well, that's, there's no reason for that. That's yeah. just terrible. You know, um, same with the infertility. Like I can take things out of those journeys and be able to like, put a reason to it, like being able to support people that are going through the same thing or, you know, being a voice for people that don't have it. But at the end of the day, if I could go back and not have those things happen yeah. to me, obviously that's the choice I would make. So I definitely think like when that safety net kind of gets ripped off and you realize horrible things can happen to you and happen to a lot of people, you do have a sense of PTSD with it. Yeah. So We've talked a lot about whether whether with infertility or endometriosis, like advocating for your health. And you have sort of right. explained like you have a personality that allows you to do it. What do you say to people who are nervous or unsure about how to advocate? Like what are the what's your guidance for them? Well, at the end of the day, you deserve to live a good, healthy life. Right. And I, I support people online. Um all over the globe, which is awesome. I am so blessed to have people feel comfortable to reach out and ask me all kinds of questions. I'm so tired of people saying, this may be TMI, but like, no, just share. You know, you need to be able to tell the whole picture in order to get a proper diagnosis. Um, And then you need to just fight for feeling and living your best life, right? So I think a lot of times, one of the things that's so amazing about us as women, but is also our biggest downfall is just, we'll just live with it. We can push through it. We're amazing like that. And it's great in some aspects, right? Like there are certain times of our lives where we need to do that. But there's other times where if you feel like something is wrong, you need to fight for your answers. And 
if someone says no, nothing wrong with you, don't think there is, go to someone else. And that is one of the nice things I've found about being here in the States. I feel like Canada's pretty good about it too. I know that a lot of people do struggle with NHS trying to find a new doctor. Yeah. Um, that is hard for some people, but I think that's where the benefit of social media is amazing. Um, you know, a lot of times with illnesses, they say, don't get online. It's like, yeah. you're going to diagnose yourself with cancer. Well, with stuff like this, do it. You know, I think the amazing support groups people are so educated. You can get help from people that are able to go see these amazing world renowned specialists. A lot of the support groups, those specialists will actually go on and answer your questions. They'll look at your ultrasounds for you. They'll look at your um, laparoscopic pictures, even like if you don't feel like the doctor came back with an appropriate diagnosis for you, there's places to go, even if you're stuck with a specific doctor. And so the best thing about social media is that, you know, you can actually meet all these people that have been going to these top doctors. They can answer questions for you. Um, and the other thing I would like to speak to is if a doctor is just going to prescribe you a medication, look into it, um, especially with endometriosis. They're using a lot of medications that are used for chemotherapy. They have lifelong impacting ramifications. Um, some of those are infertility. They impact everyone differently. So it's important for you to know kind of what to keep an eye out for. Um, there are certain things that are being prescribed to women that like it's fucking their teeth and their hair to fall out. You know, there are things out there you need to not have a complete blind trust in the system. Yeah. I would say most of the system's great. Everyone's looking out for you, but there's a lack of education around endometriosis there. And that's where it can get dangerous in the medical community. So there's so much stuff that's just come out in the past couple yeah. years. So getting online, being able to educate yourself. I always make a big list. Every time I go to the doctors of questions I have, they laugh. It's just like a joke. I'm like, here's my list. Um, Cause but you they forget in the I, moment or like the stress gets to you. I and get so stressed. Especially, you know, like when I finally got to meet with my excision specialist, you know, he's the only one in the state. I had waited for six months, you know, to have 15 minutes with him. It's almost like a, a Jesus moment. Like, I can't believe I'm finally meeting you, you know. And so I had to refer to my list. And it also helped force me to educate myself on kind of where I'm at in my recovery what, you know, think about what my future looks like, what things I need to be keeping an eye out for, um, stuff like that. So I think they appreciate it. It's great for you to just go through the simple process of writing it. And then it's a good reminder while you're there because yeah. that's, they're there to help you. Right. And so if you're not going to ask those questions, even if they're hard, even if you feel like they're going to be like, I'm the doctor, not you, yeah. you know, it's important for you to ask that. You have every right to do that. You are the customer, right? You're paying them to help you. So I don't know why we go in there and just sit and listen to them and not even share kind of what our symptoms look like. You know, they can only do uh, what their best with the amount of data that they're given. Yeah, I'm a so. huge believer that like you are the genius of your body, right? Like, you know, the most Correct. about your body and same with moms and their kids. Like, nowhere near the scale of what you've been through. But when my son was about to turn a year old, like he kept having this horrendous cough and fever and, and I kept taking him to emerge and they were like, he's fine. It's a really bad cold. 
And I kept like people just kept like swiping it aside, swiping it aside. And I was like, no, like I, I get that I'm a new mom, like he's right. one year old, but like something's not right here. Ended up back and emerged literally less than 24 hours from her last time. And he had RSV, which is a respiratory. Huge. I never remember the S virus. He, we were hospitalized yeah. for a week. And like he That's was a baby. Terrible. He can't like communicate. And it right. was one of those right. like I, people need like. Yeah, right. people need to listen. People Absolutely. need to let parents advocate, let individuals advocate for themselves. Yeah. Well, and I think that kind of rolls into the whole, like, we're so afraid as women um, that we're looking too emotional or we're too passionate. And it rolls into motherhood yeah. as well, right? Because that is our mama bear, like, take no guff. And it's funny because I think all, a lot of times we'll put that energy on our children and we'll advocate like crazy for them. Not for and ourselves. then we don't do it for ourselves. And we just always put ourselves as box burner. And, you know, that's not a great thing to do either because I want to show my daughter that she needs to fight for herself and push for herself. And I remember being very worried once I got my diagnosis, how my mom was going to feel. Like if she was going like to feel bad, like, yeah, you know, and luckily she was fine. But I, as a mother myself, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, my mom is going to feel awful. Like there's so many things, like if they had caught this in, you know, high school, maybe they could have frozen my eggs or, you know, done surgery earlier where I wasn't dealing with, you know, that inflammation that kind of ruined my egg quality over so many years. But, you know, we're in the moment now we love it yeah. we're good um and so that was a relief well Katrina I feel like I could talk to you for ages about these topics but I <laughs> want to respect your time so we're going to move into the final five questions that I ask all of my guests so this could be personal professional anything what are some of the things or the projects that get you like really fired up in a good way well obviously educating and supporting others on women's health has been so huge for me as I had said before, you know, finding resources when you are dealing with something that's super taboo is really difficult. And so um, me being kind of like a mouthpiece of like, come to me, I will point you in the right direction. If you want to talk to me about how like sex has been painful for you, or you're having weird gas, go for yeah. it. You know, like, will, <laughs> it doesn't bother me. Like, nothing grosses me out at this point. I mean, I'm a mom, right? Yeah. Like even without the endometriosis it wouldn't bother me. So um, being able to kind of use my infertility journey and my endometriosis and adenomyosis journey and my fibro journey, being able to kind of combine all that together and be a support system for people. Like I've got people in Germany being like, hey, I had this happen this morning. Is this normal? Or, you know, like what can I expect with this situation? Or, hey, I'm 22. I don't even have a boyfriend yet. I have endometriosis. I want to be a mom. What, what are things that I need to keep an eye out for? And that's like just so huge on my heart to be able to kind of explain the fertility side of things. What happened to me? You know, like um, all the different opportunities that are out there to kind of help calm their nerves. That is a lot of pressure to have on yourself at such a young age. So just being able to be that resource. And then also for more comfortable with our bodies and we're speaking to it and advocating for ourselves more, I do think that there is more of an opportunity for um, early diagnostics to happen, more resources, more studies to happen, potentially new medications that are safe to come out onto the market, and maybe one day even a cure. 
that would be amazing. So um, being able to kind of be a part of that movement has just gotten me super jazzed. Are you going to write a book? (laughs) You should. I should. It's so funny. I love writing. It's, it's just, kind of consumed me um I actually did just write a little book for someone in one of the infertility groups that I support about her child's story so that was really special it was the first time I've ever written to a child yeah and it was so cool about um you know all the different things mom and dad went through to kind of help you yeah um, be part of the family well you should definitely write a, a book about your endometriosis journey and how you met like I think it would be very helpful for people from a you know, a patient experience, right? Not the yeah. medical. Yeah. Speaking of Absolutely. books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's one of the yeah. most inspiring books you've read in the past few years? Okay. So this is going to sound super lame. Um, between my work, my illness, my blog, being a mom, and then just advocacy, I honestly do not have a ton of time to read. That is fair. <laughs> that is fair. Most recently I've been, as I was saying, really into healthy, uh, like how food impacts my body, mm-hmm. um, not only in relation to um, my illness and managing that, but just kind of keeping me healthy as a whole. Yeah. Um, and so I have read Sarah Ballantyne's The Paleo Approach multiple times. It's been fascinating to me, and I get more information out of it every time. And one of the things that I really like about a lot of these autoimmune books that I've been reading are um, the fact that they're written by these women that have had these issues that doctors have pushed aside and they're like you're not hurting blah 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 you know just deal with it we don't know what's wrong with you and they have gone in to educate themselves learn about resources on how to help themselves food you know stress sleep exercise how that can all come together to make you feel better when you're dealing with these issues Um, and the cool thing about it is They've found these answers, they've put them into a book, and they've shared them out with the world. And I think that's amazing. So like Sarah Ballantyne, Nikki Trescott, they've just done um, kind of huge work in the area of autoimmune disease and kind of health issues that women run into um, as a whole. You know, there's a lot going on right now in terms of autoimmune issues with women. And um, I think that there needs to become more of an awareness. I'm very lucky that I live in the Boulder area. Um, out in Colorado, we have a lot of functional medicine and holistic stuff and like all kinds of integration with Western medicine. But, you know, if I lived in Georgia or yeah. Nebraska, I probably would be less likely. So you can get on Amazon now and grab one of those books and educate yourself. And um, Nikki Trescott's book, uh, it's like the autoimmune protocol handbook. It actually has a whole section on how to advocate for yourself with doctors, which is super cool. Uh, unfortunately, I read the book after I had to do that. <laughs> it would have been beneficial to have. Yeah. Well, we'll link to those in the show notes, and we're also going to link to your blog with all the incredible articles and and your recipes. So we talked about um, some of your go-to strategies for handling stress. Is there anything that we missed that you want to cover on that front? Um, one of the things that I want to make sure people understand is especially if they are a control freak like myself. When I get very stressed out, I have to remind myself to not allow the stress to have control over my emotions. Yeah. So I need to allow, I need to embrace it, allow it to you know, recognize it, right? I'm, a, I'm allowed to feel that way. It's not a bad thing. I can't ignore it. But then I need to be able to move on. Yeah. So it's important 
me to find something that I can shift my focus to once I've accepted and embraced whatever, you know, that stressor was. Yeah. And always remind yourself like, okay, I think about this next week. Am I even going to remember it? Yeah. Usually not. I get myself so heated up over the most ridiculous stuff, you know, and that's something I always have to remind myself. Yeah. Don't we all, especially with social media. (laughs) Social media is a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Like, I don't even know who this person is and they ruin my day. Yeah. You know, don't allow them to have that power. That's ridiculous. Yeah. What's the best life lesson you've learned or advice that you've been given? You are your own best advocate. And no one else can fight for you or care for you better than you, right? And it doesn't matter how much someone loves you or cares for you or is educated on a subject. You're the one that's going to have the most passion to fight for yourself. It's you know, primal. So even if you feel like you don't have it, you need to reach inside and find it. because It is in there. Um, so it's important to kind of get primal, reach in, grab it, and um, fight for what you deserve. You know, we only have one life. Yeah, And it's important. It's on us, right? It's our responsibility to have that be our best life, you know? And even if you've been handed some things like a chronic illness, right? Like my endometriosis is never going to go away. There's definitely going to be things that I'm going to be dealing with the rest of my life. You know, there's people out there dealing with horrible things, you know, but you have control over your perspective and it's important for you to know that it's up to you. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. So final question, Katrina, is what does it mean to you to live your best life? It is to find joy in all things and live in the moment. And I know that sounds super cheesy. And like, I'm saying it like it's really easy, because it is not every morning I have to wake up and be like super intentional about it. It's funny, I live on the front range. uh, So right at the base of the Rocky Mountains. And my view on the way to work is complete insanity it is stunning and it's funny because I remember the first couple of days of driving to work it took my breath away yeah and I have now worked in this building for six years and I realized last year that I don't even look anymore and so it's about looking at the little things taking the little time to recognize stuff that is full of joy in your life that isn't something monumental right so like I don't know, before I used to drive to work and just think about what I needed to do when I got into the office. And so now I'm making an intentional choice to um, look out the window and take a take in those gorgeous mountains and kind of reset my day. And um, I know it's really hard to do that, especially as a mom, yeah. right? Find those little moments. Um, I'm never, for the most part, by myself. I can't remember the last time I went to the bathroom on my own at home. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to do, but it's just living in those little moments um, that have truly elevated my life experience. Right. So putting on some Lady Gaga while I'm making dinner in the evenings and having a dance party, you know, that's going to be create more lasting memories than, you know, going on an expensive vacation or cruise or, or pushing to get that promotion at work. Right. So, you know, what, what is it that makes you truly happy? It's probably not what society tells you it should be. So you need to kind of dig in, figure out what those things are, and then allow for them to actually have time in your life. So it's important to give those things attention. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I feel like we could talk for like eight hours. I know. Yeah. (laughs) 
You guys, isn't Katrina awesome? I just absolutely adore spending time with her. She was fabulous. I've had such a great uh relationship with her on social media so far. So you can find the show notes for today at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast dash 144. You can also connect with Katrina over at always living the high life on Instagram and that links to her blog and everything there. So that's probably the best way to get connected. So last but not least, if you have been enjoying the podcast, please, please, please take just like one minute of your life to head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It really honestly helps. It makes a huge difference when I pitch to future guests to get them on the podcast so they know that people are actually listening, right? So that would be fantastic. You would make my day and I always uh, get, you know, the big heart emoji when I read your comments and your feedback on the podcast. I absolutely adore it. And you can also in that comment, let me know who you'd like to have on the podcast in the future and I will you know do some digging and reach out so take care have a fantastic week and I will chat to you next time